thank you very much. You are listening to WETF, the Jazz Station, South Bend, Indiana. My name is John Clark, and this is the Jazz Focus. And today our focus is going to be on an Indiana native named Hoagie Carmichael. And uh, we just heard uh, probably Hoagie Carmichael's most famous song, Stardust. We'll talk about that in a little while. And we started out the program with a, a very uh, unfamiliar Hoagie Carmichael tune called The March of the Hoodlums. So... Let's talk a little bit about Hoagie Carmichael. I'll tell you about the people on those recordings in just a second. Hoagie was born in Bloomington, Indiana in 1899. He uh, was raised in several different places. His father moved around a lot. His mother was a music uh, teacher, though. She was a piano player and a singer, and she taught young Hoagie, who was named Hoagland after a troop of uh, tumblers and and, and uh, entertainers had stayed at the Carmichael house at one point, I guess. That's the story at any rate. And so Hoagie learned piano as a young man. He had some formal piano lessons, not too many, though. Uh, he was early on attracted to ragtime and jazz, and you can hear that in his recordings that were made in the 1920s and the tunes that he composed during that period. And that's what we're focusing on today. Some of the tunes that he did under his own name, some tunes that he did for some other bands, and uh, pretty much all of the things we're going to listen to, with maybe one exception, uh, are going to feature Hoagie on piano, vocals, or occasionally cornet, which we'll hear in just a second. So, March of the Hoodlums was a uh, kind of a fancy jazz tune that he composed. Hoagie had been... Uh, a, a student, an undergrad, and a law student at the University of Indiana, 1924, 5, 6, thereabouts. He actually uh, got his law degree in 1926 and ended up, uh, after a couple of years passing the bar and working briefly as a lawyer until he uh, was found out to be a nighttime musician and was fired for not paying attention to his legal uh, obligations. But that was for our benefit, certainly. So, March of the Hoodlums was recorded for Victor on uh, February 19th of 1929, and the band was called Hoagie Carmichael and his orchestra. And very quickly, the men in this band, because this was an all-male band, were Hoagie Carmichael on piano and vocals. He didn't sing on that one. We heard Ray Connolly and Andy Anderson on cornet, Warren Carr on trombone, and possibly arranging, although I think Hoagie did a lot of these arrangements. Chauncey Goodwin was on clarinet and alto sax. We heard him on an alto sax solo. Uh, George Harper on tenor sax. Fizz Goodrich, fine name was Fizz, on baritone sax. We heard some nice violin uh, by Eddie Wolf on violin. Uh, Harry Werner on banjo and guitar. Charles Dowling on string bass. Bob Vollmer on drums, and there was a vocalist on this session, but he's not featured on either of the tunes that we're going to listen to. That was the first one we heard, and it showed Hoagie's uh, interest in jazz. He became an early fan of Bix Beiderbecke, of whom a little bit more later, and he followed uh, Bix's band, the Wolverines, around in the early 1920s. They were based out of the Chicago and... Um, and the Davenport, Iowa area, and they uh, were essentially a territory band going around playing 1920s music, but featuring the cornet of Bix Beiderbecke, who even at that point in his very late teens, very early 20s, was considered a genius among the white jazz musicians of the time. And Hoagie Carmichael was very much influenced by him, as we'll hear in just a second. Uh, and he put, he, Hoagie, put his own college band together, Hoagie Carmichael and his uh, Collegians was one name, uh, and we'll hear a couple of sides from that band or from a band of that name, and he was playing in a similar style, and he started composing tunes that were uh, of the, the style of the hot jazz of the 1920s. 
Very much on the other side of that coin was the second tune we heard at the beginning of the program, Stardust. And Stardust, of course, is probably Hoagy Carmichael's best-known tune. It's a very unusual tune. It's structured very oddly. Um, we'll hear a couple of tunes that Hoagy did that were not, uh, shall we say, uh, predictable in their outlines. They didn't follow the set pattern of a 32-bar AABA form, which was becoming the norm at that time, or uh, any of the other standard forms. And Stardust really just is almost a through-composed tune, the chorus anyway. Uh, there's also a beautiful verse, which we heard played uh, as a trumpet solo. We'll talk about those performers in a second. And supposedly that uh, trumpet solo was inspired by Big Spiderback. And uh, it certainly has some of the contours of his melodic lines and his solos on records with Paul Whiteman and under his own name and so forth. So again, that second tune, Stardust, was by Hoagy Carmichael and his pals. October 31st of 1927, it was recorded for the Jeanette label. Um... This was after uh, Jeanette had uh, improved its recording quality, no end. A lot of the bands that recorded in the early and mid-20s at that uh, um, recording studio, which was in Richmond, Indiana, uh, suffered by the awful sound quality, the, the very boxy sound that they had. But by um, this point, anyway, 1927, they apparently had converted to the electrical system using microphones rather than a horn, and the uh, fidelity was a great deal better. So we heard on Stardust, which may have been taken partly from a stock arrangement, there was one that was issued around that time, although I think this was a little early for that, we heard an introductory guitar solo by Don Kimmel. The trumpet on the verse was by Byron Smart. Hoagy Carmichael himself plays a very ethereal piano solo. Uh, he had a range of influences on piano. Uh, Dick Kent or Gene Woods were the alto soloists. We don't know which one played uh, alto on that. Um, and uh, very much uh, channeled the style of Frank Trumbauer, who was uh, one of the defining saxophone soloists among white jazz musicians of the 1920s. He played, for the most part, uh, C melody, at least in solo, but uh, he got a very alto-y sound, and alto saxophones were, were wont to uh, imitate him, as we heard here. So, as I said, Hoagie's piano style was uh, unusual. It, it was jazzy. It had some elements of ragtime, a little bit of stride, some bluesy elements in there, too. But occasionally you hear some uh, very, uh, you know, almost classical elements, uh, impressionistic uh, type of sounds and chords that he gravitated towards. It's known that he was a fan of some of the modernist uh, American composers of the time, as was Bix Beiderbeck, people like Eastwood Lane, uh, whose music really doesn't survive too well today, but um, if you go on YouTube, you can hear some of it and get a sense of what was impressing these young musicians in the 1920s. And as we have said, that Hoagie was really considered a composer, and probably an arranger, too, at this point. We're going to hear a, a, a one song that was not by Hoagie Carmichael a little bit later in the program, where he does a piano solo that's very much indented, indebted to Edward McDowell, and we'll talk about that when the time comes. So we're going to hear four tunes right now from this 1920s period, a very lively period in jazz and popular music, I think you'll agree. And uh, this is going to be a, a range of different bands uh, featured on this one. The first uh, tune is the Manhattan Rag, composed by Hoagy Carmichael. And in this case, performed by Frankie Trumbauer and his orchestra. And we just mentioned Frankie Trumbauer as being a 
major influence on jazz saxophone playing. He was a, a white musician who had uh, come to popular attention playing with the Mound City Blues Blowers in the early 1920s uh, with Ray Miller's orchestra in Chicago. Uh, he left the Midwest to come to New York with Gene Goldkett's orchestra, and he ended up with Paul Whiteman and spent most of the rest of his career with the Paul Whiteman band. He ended up retiring to uh, uh, do defense work and also to uh, fly planes in the World War II era, and uh, he died fairly young. But he had a long series of recordings, uh, studio recordings, made largely with members of the Whiteman band, but other people besides, and uh, doing popular tunes and some of his own things and so forth. And this uh, particular recording session came from uh, October 10th of 1929 and featured some of the uh, Paul Whiteman musicians. Unfortunately, not Bix Beiderbecke, who had left the band by that point. He had been a feature on the uh, Trombauer recordings. Uh, we're going to hear one a little bit later that he's featured on. In this case, it's Andy Seacrest, uh, Bix's replacement with the Whiteman band, played in a similar style, without the spark of genius, I suppose, but very musical nonetheless, and Trombauer is featured as well. Then we're going to go to a tune called uh, One Night in Havana, which was from Hoagie's first recording date, or first released recording date. It was uh, Hoagie Carmichael and his pals. And these also were members of the Whiteman Band. Somehow he had uh, cornered some of these Whiteman guys into playing on his recording date, and uh, indeed they did. It was for Janet in October of 1927, so just two years before uh, the Manhattan Rag recording, and it also featured um, Andy Seacrest as well, and the Dorsey brothers, Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey. We'll talk more about that later. Then the last two recordings from our mini-set uh, are When uh, Baby Sleeps. When Baby Sleeps, that was done uh, the, in the Hoagie Carmichael and his pal session, the one that produced Stardust that we heard earlier from October of 1927, a little bit later than uh, the One Night in Havana session. And we're going to end up with one from that same date called Friday Night. And on this one, Hoagie Carmichael is featured uh, playing second cornet. He played some cornet, uh, having been influenced by Bix Beiderbeck. He didn't consider himself a soloist, but he just played the second part behind the solo cornet. Kind of an interesting effect. So those are our four tunes for this set. Manhattan Rag, One Night in Havana, When Baby Sleeps, and Friday Night. <laughs>
some pretty fun stuff from the 1920s and uh, a lot of these were young musicians at least in this uh, group that produced the last two sides probably just out of college and very much full of the roaring 20s atmosphere and you get that in those uh, recordings of those wonderful hot jazz pieces by Hoagy Carmichael. Of course Hoagy Carmichael came to be known for the ballads he composed later on, Stardust being the first, but things like The Nearness of You and Georgia on My Mind and uh, Skylark later on. A lot of wonderful tunes. And he uh, was a, a pretty good businessman, unusually for a musician, I guess from his law background. He managed to uh, hang on to his money. He kept uh, composing all through his life. He lived uh, into the 1980s. Uh, he didn't compose popular songs so much in the last 20 years or so of his life. He did more um, instrumental music, although by that point he was known as an entertainer. Uh, he was a reasonable piano player and uh, he sang in his own way, uh, as you, you might know if you've heard uh, some of his later recordings and also uh, some of his uh, appearances on movies and talk shows on television. He had his own radio show for a while. Uh, he was uh, from central casting as, as, as a piano playing friend of the lead actor and he appeared in a lot of movies doing that. So what did we hear? We heard Manhattan Rag by Frankie Trumbauer and his orchestra. 
or Frank Trumbauer, if you prefer. And that was done in October of 1929. We heard a very effective cornet solo by Andy Seacrest, who usually gets short shrift from jazz writers. He was a fine player. Uh, he had the thankless task of following Vicks Beiderbecke uh, in several different places, most notably in the Paul Whiteman Orchestra, but also in this series of recordings uh, by Frank Trumbauer and his orchestra. So he, uh, his solo was our, you know, inevitably compared unfavorably to Bix Beiderbecke's. But if we can kind of remove the Bix influence, uh, Seacrest's work was quite effective, and uh, he was still recording all the way through the 30s and into the 40s. He's actually on a number of Andrew Sisters recordings. Uh, he was a studio musician after he left Paul Whiteman uh, out on the West Coast, and uh, he had a very, very active career. We also heard the leader, Frank Trumbauer, on C Melody Saxophone, playing a, uh, a very characteristic solo, uh, and... Uh, doing a nice job on this semi-ragtime composition, several different strains. Uh, Hoagie was uh, obviously trying to capitalize on, on, on the, the Manhattan novelty that was a, uh, a rush of songs having to do with Manhattan and uh, the Big Apple and so forth in 1929. These recordings, or this recording, was made for the OK Company, as were most of Trumbauer's. Then we heard One Night in Havana, a very interesting, unusual piece. This was Hoagie Carmichael's first released recording under his own name. He had done a recording session in February of 1926, I imagine, with his college band, and that was rejected. We don't have any results of that. This particular recording, One Night in Havana, was one of two tunes that was recorded on October 28th of 1927. The other one was a waltz, which uh, was rejected, and we don't have uh, any pressings of that. But this band featured some of the white men guys as well. Again, Andy Seacrest, along with Bob Mayhew on cornet, it was Seacrest taking the solo. Tommy Dorsey plays trombone. He gets a little bit of, of uh, work in there as well. Jimmy Dorsey plays alto saxophone and some clarinet. He had a, a, a melodic lead in there. Nye Mayhew was on tenor sax, and Misha Russell was on violin. He was one of the Whiteman violin section. He was overshadowed certainly by uh, Joe Venuti and uh, even Matty Malneck, but he was an effective player, and he had a nice little solo turn there as well. Don't know who was in the rhythm section. Um, presumably, Hoagie Carmichael himself played piano. Um, he uh, did that, and he may have played some cornet as well, although we don't know where that would have come in. Uh, we don't know who the guitar, tuba, or drummer were, possibly the Whiteman guys as well. Then a curiosity, When Baby Sleeps. Now, this is not a tune that is uh, listed in Hoagie Carmichael's work list, uh, the list of his tunes that he published. This may have been an unpublished tune. It certainly sounds like the work of Hoagie Carmichael. In fact, if you're familiar with his tune Old Rockin' Chair, which we're going to play in the next set, uh, the chorus of Old Rockin' Chair and the chorus of this tune, When Baby Sleeps, have a lot of similarities to them. And uh, we can sort of surmise that uh, Hoagie probably wrote this tune as well. This was a rejected take from this recording session, which was um, in uh, October, October 31st of 1927. Again, Hoagie Carmichael and his pals. His pals in this case were members of the um, Emil Seidel Orchestra. Emil Seidel was a piano player who led a territory band, and this was his group that Hoagie fronted for the purposes of this recording date. Now, this recording was not known to exist until fairly recently, I don't think, or in the last 20 years or so, someone found a test pressing, and it was listed as being performed by Hoagie, Carmichael, and 
three pals, or actually it was Hoagie Carmichael and three and two other fellows, so three in total. And what we hear is a piano, Hoagie, I guess, uh, a guitar player who uh, would have been Don Kimmel, and an alto sax player who would have been either Gene Woods or Dick Kent, a very fine player, whoever it was, and a very up-tempo, you know, perhaps a sentimental tune, if we knew what the words were, if there indeed there were words, but uh, taken with a lot of sprite uh, on this recording. We're going to uh, hear another recording from that session, in fact, the next tune, Friday Night. This is a, a great, relatively unknown Hoagy Carmichael tune from the period. A uh, very jazzy tune featuring a lot of solos. Uh, again, this was October 31st, 1927 for the Janet Recording Label. Um, Again, the recording quality is, is, is better here. Um, it wasn't so good on One Night in Havana. They must have made quite a change in, in, in a few days. Uh, this band, uh, Emil Seidel's band, uh, didn't feature any well-known players, but some very effective players nonetheless, and most of them got solos on um, Friday night. We heard Byron Smart on trumpet. Uh, he was also featured on Stardust, which was from this session, and he played a solo backed up by Hoagy Carmichael on second cornet. We heard Oscar Rosberg on trombone. Again, Gene Woods or Dick Kent on alto sax, and presumably the other one took the clarinet solo as well. Maurice Bennett played tenor sax, Don Camell on banjo or guitar, Paul Brown on tuba, Cliff Williamson or Cliff Williams rather on drums, and Emil Seidel is listed as piano, but he obviously did not play on When Baby Sleeps, and the piano solo in Friday Night sounds very similar uh, to Hoagie Carmichael, to my ears anyway, and he certainly, Hoagie did play on Stardust, so he may have played piano on all the sessions, all the recordings from this session, as well as cornet on Friday night. So that was our short set of uh, the early Hoagie Carmichael recordings. Now we're going to go on to a set of Hoagie's uh, early tunes performed by a range of different people. Now, the first three are also going to feature Hoagie in one way or another, uh, guesting with uh, different groups. And the last one, he may have been present, we don't know. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that uh, tune and the provenance of the recording when we get to the other side. We're going to start with the one tune on this uh, program that was not written by Hoagie Carmichael. It was written by Shelton Brooks, and the name of the tune is Walkin' the Dog. Why did I pick this? Well, Hoagie recorded this three different times within a couple of years, uh, early on in the 19 late 1920s. So he obviously had an affinity for this tune, and each of the recordings is based on the same arrangement. So I have to assume that he was responsible for the arrangement, and he liked it enough that he kept recording it. Um, there's a piano solo on this particular version, which comes from May of 1928, again for the Janet recording label. Uh, the piano solo by Hoagie uh, brings out some of the points I mentioned uh, earlier about his being influenced by some of those uh, more impressionistic, uh, romantic uh, American composers like Eastwood Lane. In this case, his influence is uh, Edward McDowell, who composed uh, a series of... Um, short piano pieces that were beloved or possibly hated by piano students uh, ever since. And the most uh, well-known of those was To a Wild Rose, and we're going to hear Hoagie quote that in his solo, in his solo breaks. So this piece, uh, as I said, uh, came from May of 1928, and uh, we already heard... Um, no, we didn't. We heard They recorded March of the Hoodlums at this recording date. We heard one from the next one for Victor, so we haven't heard from this one. So we'll tell you about the soloists when we get to the other side of that. The next tune is 
a definite Hoagie Carmichael item called What Kind of Man Is You? And this was performed by Eddie Lang and his orchestra. Eddie Lang, the great guitar player at the time with Paul Whiteman. And again, this is a, uh, a mess of Paul Whiteman musicians. So they were guys who were first call for a lot of different recording dates. And the charm of this recording is the vocalist, Mildred Bailey. This was one of her first recordings. And she was an outstanding singer. She was actually the sister of Al Rinker, who was one of the... Uh, Rhythm Boys with the Paul Whiteman Band at the time, and she was very, very uh, well thought of by musicians as a pop singer and as a jazz singer later on. She ended her life as more of a cabaret singer in the Blossom Deary style, but um, really a very, very musical singer. Then we're going to go to one of Hoagie Carmichael's best-known tunes, Old Rockin' Chair. This was composed around this time, and this is the one of the first recordings of it, and uh, the most successful recording that Hoagie Carmichael had. He's featured doing a background vocal to Louis Armstrong, and Louis Armstrong uh, and his orchestra recorded this, and another Hoagie tune on the same date that we're not going to hear, but uh, Hoagie Carmichael said that this kept him afloat during some dark days of the 30s when he didn't have much of an income because the royalties generated by this recording were not insignificant. Then we're going to end up with the one tune that does not have Hoagie participating actively on it. It's his tune, The Riverboat Shuffle, and we're going to hear again the Frankie Trumbauer Band uh, from uh, 1927, featuring, in this case, Bix Beiderbecke. And this tune was composed for Bix Beiderbecke, and we'll talk about that when the time comes. So our four tunes, Walkin' the Dog, What Kind of Man Is You, Rockin' Chair, and Riverboat Shuffle.
variety of different uh, musical settings for Hoagie Carmichael's music. We started out with Walkin' the Dog, again, a tune not composed by Hoagie. It was composed by Shelton Brooks, who uh, composed some of these days and lots of other tunes as well, and uh, probably a, a Hoagie Carmichael arrangement. It featured him quite extensively, and um, uh, as I said, it was Hoagie Carmichael's Collegians was the name of that band. Uh, featured Bud Dant on cornet, Chauncey Goodwin on clarinet and alto sax. He was featured on both of those. Harold Keating on tenor sax. Eddie Wolf on violin. Arnold Habby on banjo. Jack Drummond on bass. And Andy Van Sickle on drums with Hoagie Carmichael playing piano. Um, he did definitely do the piano solo on that one, as I said. A uh, bit of Eastwood Lane in there, perhaps. Uh, or rather, a bit of Edward McDowell, I should say. He did the scat vocal as well. And I think he was responsible for the cornet solo. It didn't sound like some of the other recordings of Bud Dant, and you could kind of hear the lead cornet playing the verse, or, the, or rather the... Um, ensemble part before the cornet solo, which had a mute in it, and I don't think he would have had time to switch around quite that fast. So I think that was Hoagie Carmichael featured on cornet, piano, and vocal. So that might have been why he kept recording that tune. That was his big feature number, I suppose. So from that point, we went uh, on to What Kind of Man Is You, the Eddie Lang Orchestra, uh, featuring uh, Hoagie Carmichael on piano, he did play piano on this, and featuring Mildred Bailey on vocals. And um, what we heard 
in terms of the personnel was, as I said, the Paul Whiteman band. Andy Sechrist played cornet and played another cornet solo, sort of in the style of Big Spiderbeck. Charlie Margulis was another trumpet player there. Bill Rank on trombone. We heard uh, some alto saxophone, I think, by Bernard Bernard Daly. Um, Charles Strickfadden was also an alto player. He played baritone as well, but he was known as a soloist. And Izzy Friedman played clarinet and tenor sax in there. A violinist named Henry Whiteman was uh, featured very briefly, along with Hoagie on piano and Celesta, Eddie Lang, the leader on guitar, Mike Traficanti on bass, and George Marsh on drums, all backing Mildred Bailey in that wonderful vocal style that she had. Then we went to uh, another very different vocal stylist, Louis Armstrong, who recorded Rock and Chair. I believe this was the first recording of this Hoagie Carmichael Perennial. It was done in December 13th, 1929, for the OK Company. I had said there was another um, Hoagie tune recorded on the same date. It was Bessie Couldn't Help It, and that was actually recorded uh, about a month or two later, but um, it did feature another Hoagie Carmichael composition, which shows the uh, respect that he uh, was given even by African-American jazz musicians. And we heard Louis Armstrong, of course, featured on trumpet and doing, actually, the background vocals. I said it was Hoagie doing them. It was Hoagie singing the lead, the melody, and Louis making the commentary. This was a prototype for um, the routine that Louis did for the rest of his life on this song, uh, going up to the All-Stars time in the late 40s and into the 50s and 60s and 70s. He was paired with Jack Teagarden and then Trummy Young and uh, Tyree Glenn and occasionally some other people doing the back and forth on Old Rockin' Chair. Then we ended up with the Riverboat Shuffle, a different cornet player entirely, with Big Spiderbeck finally featured. And this was uh, a band that was, uh, as I said, led or um, fronted by Frank Trumbauer for the OK Recording label. He was uh, given a, a contract to record jazz sides for OK in the late 1920s. This was done in uh, May of 1927 when Bix and Trumbauer were actually playing, I believe, with Adrian Rolini's band at the Club New Yorker. It might have been right after that club folded. Uh, Adrian Rolini is not on this recording. He uh, may have already headed out to go to England. He was playing with Fred Elizaldi's orchestra for about a year and a half or so. But this is a wonderful recording that features, um, of course, Big Spiderbeck on the cornet solo. And uh, in addition to that, we have Frank Trumbauer on uh, C Melody and a very fine clarinet solo by Don Murray, an underrated clarinet player to be sure. He had played with uh, Bix and Tram in the Gene Goldkett Orchestra for a while. We also heard Chauncey Morehouse on drums, Eddie Lang on guitar, uh, Itzy Ritzkin on piano, Doc Riker on alto sax, he had a very short break in there, and uh, Bill Rank on trombone, and that was the, the band that recorded the Riverboat Shuffle. That was a tune that had originally been called Freewheeling. Uh, Hoagie wrote that in the early 1920s, 1923 or so, uh, after hearing Bix Beiderbeck, and he wrote it specifically for Bix and his band, The Wolverines, and they recorded it in 1924. I decided to use this later version. Um, it had changed its name from Freewheeling to Riverboat Shuffle by that point, and in the earlier point as well. And then in the 1930s, it was given lyrics, and uh, Hoagie recorded it himself in the late 1930s with Andy Seacrest and uh, a band led by Perry Botkin out on the West Coast. He recorded several of his own tunes with a little hot jazz accompaniment, one of the last times that he was to do that. We're going to finish up our Hoagie Carmichael tribute today with a tune that he wrote, another unusually structured tune uh, called the Washboard Blues. And he was... Uh, 
engaged to record this with the Paul Whiteman Band in the fall of 1927, actually in November. This was after he had done some of those recordings that I'd mentioned earlier that we've heard, like One Night in Havana, where he used some of the Whiteman musicians. I'd mentioned that he didn't use Bix Beiderbecke on that. Uh, the reason being, Bix was not with the Whiteman Band until a couple of weeks following that session. He was there in time for the Washboard Blues, and this is his first recording with the Whiteman group as well. So we're going to hear Hoagie singing and playing, featured throughout. This is a four-minute performance, which is a little bit longer than an ordinary 10-inch uh, 78 uh, recording. This was done, I guess, on a 12-inch disc uh, to add the extra length to it. And uh, clearly Whiteman thought highly of this tune and of Hoagie, at least uh, as far as this performance went. So once again, I'm going to finish out with this recording. So I'll tell you I'm John Clark. This is the Jazz Focus. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, we have been talking about Hoagie Carmichael, a son of Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana today. And uh, happy to be on WTF and South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station. If you're interested in contacting me, Check out Wolverine Jazz Band on Facebook or Instagram. You can get a hold of me through there. And also, check out my podcast, The Jazz Focus, which you can find on Anchor or Spotify or iTunes. So, hope you're enjoying these programs, and we'll see you next week. And we're going to leave you with the Washboard Blues.
back and forth all year long. Oh, Lordy, won't you hear my song, hear my song? shanty on the shore the river swinging on by the door hear that river lowly calling out the shiver nights are falling hear that river lowly moaning moaning low i'm going to that river going down to that river someday hurry day hurry day hurry day hurry I'm going to that river, going down to that river someday. Throw myself, my poster, self away. Oh, Lordy, must I keep scrubbing, must I keep tubbing, must I keep grubbing, must I keep tubbing them old dirty coals. But I'm going to that river, going down to that river someday. Hurry day, hurry day, hurry day, hurry.